Good morning again and welcome. So glad to see you all today. And again, happy Father's Day. If you're a guest or you're, you're a dad or a family member in from out of town, especially want to welcome you. Or this morning, if you're joining us on the podcast, welcome and thanks for listening in. We are in week three of four and taking a look at how we can love where we live. Two weeks ago, we looked at how we can love others through our work, through how we do our jobs. Last week, we looked at how we can love through loving justice. And today, we're looking at how we can love through how we handle wealth, that is, how we love through our money. So doing work, loving justice, handling wealth, now all from the book of Proverbs. Here we go. Scripture reading is going to be on the screen to your left and your right. Selected readings from Proverbs. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The wages of the righteous is life. But the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. It's God's word. And if you're new or you haven't been here in a while, right about now you're saying, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it every time I come to, to church, they're talking about money. It's kind of like what my family used to call, uh, with television growing up, we used to call the law of reruns. Maybe some of you have heard of that. If you grew up in, the, in the, the ancient world, the 80s and 90s, that is in the dark ages before Netflix, that you, you know what the law of reruns is. It's that thing that happened to you when you turn on, on your TV and there was that show that you really had always wanted to see, but you had never really gotten to watch it because, you know, you had like a life or a family or work or something. But uh, when, you, when you, you turn the TV on and it came to that show, what episode would it always be? That's right, it's the only one you had ever seen. It works. It was like gravity, you know, it's every time. And you think, how did they know? And, and why does this keep happening to me? And maybe that's how you feel uh, about church. It's like every time you come. It's a money episode, but if that's you, I'm going to say a couple of things first. First of all, we talk quite a bit about things other than money. And of course, Exhibit A is last week. And thanks for coming back, by the way, after all that. And second... It, If there were a subject to do well in and major in, it would actually be the subject of money because the Bible talks a lot about it. And as a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs can't stop talking about it, which is a way of saying to not talk about it would be an unwise thing to do. The wise thing, not just a moral thing, but the wise thing, if Proverbs is right, and it is, the wise thing would be to look at, talk about, and handle our money well. And so let's see what the book of Proverbs has to say about money. We're going to sort of look at this under three headings. First, we're going to see money can, then money can't, finally money could. 
what money can do, what it can't do, and what it could do. Let's begin here, number one, and look at money can. And one of the most amazing things about the book of Proverbs' view on money, and really the Bible's view on money, is that on the one hand, it's extremely positive. It's positive. Look at this verse. The blessing of the Lord brings what? wealth. And there are a number of verses like this, and maybe this is surprising to you, uh, because this verse is telling you that money can be a blessing to your life. And come on, say amen to that, because you know it's true. Having money in this verse, uh, as well as in the lives of rich Bible people, like Job or David or Abraham, it's viewed in the Bible as an extremely positive thing. And why? Well, again, as you've been hearing, Proverbs is built on the foundation of Genesis. And Genesis tells you what, among other things? Well, it tells you that the world was made by God with purpose and intent and design, and that human beings were made by God, put to work in a garden, and told to do what? To work and live in such a way as to bring increase, be fruitful, multiply, steward the world in such a way as to bring provision. For all humanity, which of course is why uh, when you've got a good job, right, with good pay, you feel less like another brick in the wall or a cog in the machine, and you, you feel more like someone of significance and value. Because you're doing what God made you to do. And Proverbs is looking at Genesis and saying, yes, wealth can be good. Because wealth can create. Wealth creates lots of things. Wealth can create stability. In a nation, right? Wealth creates opportunity. And perhaps most importantly, wealth creates opportunities for responsibility. Yeah. Look at Matthew 25. The parable of the talents that Jesus tells. Jesus tells this parable. And he says, my kingdom is like what? He says, my kingdom's like a business person. Oh, business person who entrusts his employees with wealth and who expects a return on his wealth. And for those who create more wealth, for those who bring an increase, the master gives what? He gives more money. He gives more responsibility. They get put in charge, not just of some bank accounts, it says, but of cities, governments, leadership roles. But the one who fails to give a return is called what? By Jesus Christ. I mean, if you know the parable, it says, you're wicked and lazy. Wow. That's challenging, but it's also so encouraging because it shows God is extremely positive about money, wealth creation, and the financial condition of humanity. In other words, God is in it to win it with you and your job and your financial life. His heart as a father is for you to prosper. Third John says, even as your soul prospers, God wants, Proverbs 10 says, your wages to bring you life, to make you happy. Why? Because wealth can be a blessing. It can create good things. And yet, and yet, and you knew this was coming, And yet, as positive as Proverbs is about wealth and wealth creation and jobs and economic prosperity, it's also wary and skeptical and even a bit cynical about money. Why? Well, because according to the book of Proverbs, money doesn't just create, money can also corrupt. 
Look at this. The Lord, it says, detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. So this is talking about a dishonest scale. That's a way, anyway, someone takes advantage of another person, either to, either to overcharge them or undercharge themselves. Now, my grandfather, happy to talk about him today, grandfather worked for decades for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Agriculture in rural Florida. Lots of herbs there. Sorry about that. And his job was to travel around and weigh the produce that these farmers produced that the government was paying to use in some way. But the, the big idea was that the government, federal government, was subsidizing the farms. And the more they produced, the more they get paid. And my grandfather, his standard issue for his job, he wore what he called his peace. That is his pistol, and he had a shotgun back in the truck. Why? Well, because he'd frequently find, unfortunately, that these farmers would use dishonest scales. He'd try to weigh out the produce on the farmer's scales, and, when it, and of course it was in the farmer's best interest, in a way, to rig them in their favor. And when it didn't seem right, when it wasn't squaring, he'd go back to his truck to get the equipment to see if the scales were really balanced, and he found that many times that was an unpopular decision on his part, and he'd frequently be shot at and had to return fire to save his own skin. Why? Why, though, all the shooting and the arguing and the rigging of the scales? Here's why. Because money had corrupted hearts. Money corrupted hearts. Now, it's possible those farmers were, uh, they had a high degree of integrity in other areas, perhaps faithful, probably were, to their, their family, wife, kids. But in the presence of money, Proverbs shows us, the human heart does funny things like rig the scales. Money can make a person to not just unbalance the scales, as it's saying, but to unbalance their lives. It can cause a person to rewrite the rules of morality, even rewrite their own principles. It's like, it's like the professional athlete who says, you know what? I just want to play for my hometown team, right? Uh, I love Cleveland. I love Tampa. They're lying. Uh, just, just kidding. I love Arizona. Grew up here. I love it here, and I'll play for X amount of money. But watch another team put two, three, four times as much money on the table. And what do they say? I've always wanted to be a New York Yankee, right? <laughs> what they say? It's a dream come true. And you know what? Good for them. Good for them. Many times they, these guys only get one shot to set their families up for life. So good for them. But here's the point. Here's what I'm saying. When an athlete or anyone stays and plays for less, what happens? It's like the world, the media goes crazy. They say, he's going to play for less? What's wrong with him? Right? Why would he do such a thing? Now, when a culture looks at a person and asks, why would they be willing to work for something besides money, more than money, and they say, why would a person do that? You know something is off in that culture. Something's out of balance. And that's exactly what this verse is telling you. Because this verse, this phrase, dishonest scales, means literally in the Hebrew, a false balance, a bad balance. What this is telling you is this. If every decision in your life or mine is based on money and not on another higher, deeper, better principle, you've already become corrupted by money. Your life is out of balance. And Proverbs 11.1 1 says... God detests that. 
Here's one more. Look at this. 1126 says, people curse the one who hoards grains, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. This proverb is describing a business person who is hoarding their commodity, in this case food, to drive the price up despite the fact that people are starving. Now, did this business person do anything illegal? No. Did they break a law? No. But yes, in a way, because what did they do? They operated their business. They lived their life with only one bottom line. Making money and increasing profits. They had only one bottom line and they stuck to it despite appeals to fairness and decency, common sense, right and wrong. And what does Proverbs call that kind of thinking, that way of doing business? It calls it cursed. It calls it corrupted. And if you're here, in your business, you've got only one bottom line. And that bottom line is profit over your impact on the community The Bible says you've already been corrupted by money. See, being corrupted means you don't even ask the question, how does the way my business, big or small, impact the community around me? How does the way our business even, how does the way it operates, how does it affect even the environment, which God's commanded us to steward and sustain, not plunder and pillage, right? I see some of you may say, well, gosh, this isn't me, right? I'm not the owner. I'm not a big, you know, muckety-muck. I'm just the average dude knocking out the rent. No, listen, for those of you who may not be owners of businesses or executives, you're just employees. Let me ask you, do you burn the candle at both ends just to get ahead? And you've got no time to ever serve anyone, maybe the church God's called you to be a part of. Do you just work and work and work to the point... That when you look up, you cannot point to a specific and tangible way you profit the community. If that's the case, you're hoarding your own kind of grain. You're keeping your own resources, which are your time, your energy, your creativity to yourself. You're hoarding you. In a way, you're no better or different than the Fortune 500 exec. Creates a shortage here, drive the price up there, and puts it on the working class. See, money doesn't just create. Money can corrupt. Whew, now you're saying, Morgan, I mean, does the Bible, is it just condemning uh, maybe even the majority of American business practice? Maybe. Maybe. Why do we do this, though? Why do we hoard when we could give? Why do we throw our lives out of balance? Even rigging the scales in our own favor when we know it's not the right thing to do? Oh, it's because we're looking for money to do the one thing the Bible says it can't do. That's number two. Money can't. Look at what Proverbs says, that money tries to trick you into believing. Money tries to trick you and get you to believe it can do something that it can't do. And look at this prayer here. The writer in Proverbs is praying. It's saying two things. I ask you, Lord, don't refuse me. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my own, only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? This is saying that a rich person can come to ask, why do I even need God? Hmm. 
the writer of Proverbs, he knows, he sees, he feels that his money is trying to trick him into thinking it's his savior. And if this sounds familiar, it's because throughout the Bible, money is mentioned as the most frequent and consistent substitute for God. To the point that when you get to the words of Jesus in the New Testament, he says almost every rich person uses money like a savior. He said, and I'll update the metaphor here for you. He said it's easier for a camel you know that thing with humps and you know spits and stuff? It's easier for a camel to go through a Chick-fil-A straw <laughs> than it is for a rich person to get in the kingdom of God. And everyone in here just said, well, thank goodness that doesn't apply to me, right? I don't have too much. I'm not rich. So I'm off the hook, right? Well, hang on. Because this verse has shown you that being rich has side effects, right? One of the side effects is that money can trick you into believing that it's God and not God. But the side effects of being rich aren't just limited to that. And let me give you two more here. Another side effect of being rich, it's crazy, is that money actually tricks you into denying you're really rich. Which is totally strange because just about every other category of person admits when they're in that category, right? Really tall people like me always admit it when they're tall, right? Short people, you may or may not like being short. You all short people, but you'll admit it. Athletic people admit they're athletic. Artistic folk admit they're artistic, probably because it gives them a good excuse for why their desk is messy, right? It's a sign of a genius at work. Introverts will admit they're introverted, so you won't talk to them anymore, right? extroverts can't wait to tell you all about how extroverted they are. So you'll talk to them. Almost every kind of person will admit when they're in a category that clearly describes them. But when it comes to rich people, rich people won't admit they're rich. The good folks at Gallup a few years ago did a survey and they asked people, how much money does it take to be rich? And the average person they surveyed said, if you make $150,000 a year, they're rich. But when they surveyed those who made $150,000 a year, they said, no way, that's not me. Even though the national average income is around $50,000 a year. That is, they made three times the average American. Now think about that. If the average height of an American was like five feet, and you were 15 feet tall, (laughs) would you deny you were tall? No, of course you wouldn't. It'd be obvious, right? So why do rich people deny they're rich? It's because wealth has side effects. Then they asked people who made $35,000 a year how much is rich, and they said $75,000 a year is rich. But then they surveyed the people who made $75,000 a year if they were rich, and they said, no way, I'm not. Then a few years later, Money Magazine did an interview, 2012, for all their subscribers, and they asked them, how much money would you need in liquid assets, basically cash, to feel rich And do you know what the answer was? These people said $5 million. Which means the readers of Money Magazine, if they had a million dollars in liquid assets, they would not feel rich. If they had two million, they would not feel rich. If they had four million in change, they would not feel rich. And you know what? I bet you if you ask that person who had five million in the bank, you ask them, are they rich? They'd say no. That person with 10 million is rich, but I'm not. What does this all mean? 
It means that nobody is rich, but everybody knows somebody who is, right? Isn't this amazing? It's because wealth has side effects, and one of the side effects of wealth is living in denial of that very wealth. Let me give you some amazing news this morning. This is what you came for right here. If you're here and you make between $45,000 and $50,000 of household combined income, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Now, I knew that'd be your response. I mean, no one just jumped up and said, praise God. I had no idea I was rich. I mean, I woke up feeling sorry for myself, but then I went to church. I found out I had been rich for years. Why did anybody tell me? Because that's one of the side effects of wealth, right? Doesn't matter how much you have, you'll never feel rich. Survey after survey proves it. It's fascinating. All right, let me give you one more. Uh, Another side effect of wealth, and we see this all the time in the U.S., is that wealth creates massive discontentment in our hearts. Typically, the, the richer you are, the more discontentment that you have. And it's the strangest thing because discontentment causes you to go and get more stuff. Even when you've already got a lot of stuff, you ask, why do rich people keep shopping, right? Why do they keep buying more stuff? It's because this happens because the accumulation of stuff works like an appetite. The more you feed it, the more it wants. And that's why rich people get more and more stuff. And rich people are particularly addicted to doing this one thing in our culture. It's crazy, these rich people. They do this thing called upgrading, upgrading. Now, I'm going to list some ways that only rich people behave. Okay. This will definitely not be you, but maybe somebody that you knew once upon a time. And here's what rich people do. They upgrade, and here's how that works. They, they have something that works just fine, but they they take their thing that works just fine, and they basically, they go and they just get another one that's just like it, just a little bit better, right, a little bit newer. And for example, they'll take their car that works just fine, and they'll drive it to the car dealer, and they'll take some money with them, and then they'll give their car that works just fine, and their money to the car dealer for a newer car that works just a little bit better. And then they pay every month to drive just a little bit newer car. It's crazy. Who would do this? Here's something else. Rich people will go into a house, maybe like a a kitchen, and it's got like, it's got countertops, microwave, oven, fridge. It all works. Then they'll rip it all out, and they'll put in a new countertop, microwave, oven, and fridge. It's nuts. You're laughing because you can't believe anybody is so rich they could do that. (laughs) I've heard of some rich people who do this. They go, and even though they hate lines, because rich people hate lines because they want it right now, uh, they'll go to a mall somewhere, and they'll stand in line at this place called the Apple Store. Maybe you've heard of it. And they'll pull out their iPhone that works, and I love iPhones. They'll pull out their iPhone that works, And they'll send a message to their friends about how they're excited to stand in line and to give their money to the people at the Apple store for just a, you know, they'll give their phone that works plus money for just a little bit newer phone that also works. I mean, who are these rich people? Then they give their old phone that works to their kids, right? I mean, who's a seven-year-old going to call? I don't know, but they've got a phone. Or, Or these rich people, they get excited when their phone breaks 
Because they've got insurance on their phone, right? They can get a new one. I mean, who's got the money to have insurance on a phone? Who knows for these rich people? There's one more. These rich people, they stand in front of their closet. They're getting ready to go somewhere. They stand for a while in front of the closet, filled with dozens of things in it. And after a while, what do they say? I don't have anything to wear. These rich people, they're crazy. They got work clothes, after work clothes, workout clothes, work in the yard clothes, but nothing to wear. And then I've heard of these really, really, really rich people, and they have like five, six, seven pairs of shoes. I mean, seven pairs of shoes. How many can a person wear at once? Who has the money for that many pairs of shoes? And on and on it goes. It's so, at some point, they've got so much stuff, they compete with the malls, and they have sales at their homes. <laughs> they've got so much stuff, they could just try to take it out of a mall. Why do these things happen? Again, because there are side effects to wealth you never see coming. And while those two aren't good, but they're a little bit humorous, there's one particular side effect which isn't, which is what Proverbs points out to you here. That money is so powerful, not only can it create denial of its own existence, money is so powerful, it can create denial of God's existence. Or if not his existence, at least his lordship in your life, his ownership of you. Proverbs is saying, God, if I have too much, if I get too much, I could even deny you as Savior. And you say, oh, that can never happen to me. No, no. It's already happening in our nation. As our nation's standard of living has gone up, its faith in God has gone, gone down. It's tricked us. See, can you see that sometimes having less is more? Is more. The same is true around the world. As a matter of fact, places in the world where Christianity is exploding today, Africa, China, South America, these are some of the poorest places in the world. And one reason is because the poor know that money can't save them. Can't save them. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that money can't save you? So how would you tangibly know that you are using money as your savior. Here's how. Let me point blank you with the message the Bible gives, and you don't have to dig far to find it. Unless you are a giver, unless you are giving to the point it interrupts your lifestyle, it's already got you. If you're not a percentage giver, you don't have power over your money. Man, it's your boss, right? Because you don't tell it where to go. It tells you where it goes. But friend, your money could be so much more. And you could be so much more. We could be so much more. If you used it rightly, if we used it rightly, if its power were broken over us, you'd see this. Not just that money can or cans, but finally, number three, that money could. Money could. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty four. I love this verse. It says, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. I love this. This verse, 
It's a paradox in the form of an agricultural metaphor. Everybody got it? It says that your money is like a seed. This is saying literally, if you scatter your seed, if you scatter, if you sow your money, you'll end up gathering seed in the end. But, but if you only gather it, if you hoard it, keep it to yourself, it'll end up being scattered and you'll lose it in the end. Oh, but if you sow your seed, if you sow your money, what happens to it? It comes back, not just better. Oh, but this is saying transformed and larger. Because when you, think about it, when you plant a seed, what happens to it? Does the seed stay like a seed? No, no, no. When it goes in the soil, it changes. It's transformed into something that can feed the world. For many years, I was a campus missionary at the University of Texas. Yeah, hook them horns. Uh, I raised all my own support, financial support from a, a support team. These people gave and gave and never got a dime back from me. But over the years, they got something back far better. People's lives that were changed. And over the years, I've seen life after life rescued, redeemed, picked up, transformed for God's glory, college students who were forever changed. Their seed came back different, the givers did. Those givers, those partners' seed came back different and bigger than when it left. See, one plants all he has. For a while, he's got no seed, but he ends up with more. One plants nothing. He's got all the seed in the world in his hands, but he starves. Why? Because you can't eat seed. You can only eat what the seed produces. And to get what the seed produces, what does it take? It takes faith that planting it is better than hoarding it. It takes faith that planting it in the soil will bring more transformation in the world, in the community, in the long run, than just having it in your hand. You see what this is saying, right? This is saying that our money can heal the world can heal the world because when you give it when you sell it oh it doesn't look like much it only looks like money in a plate or something on a form online somewhere but a seed doesn't stay like a seed in good soil it's transformed but you got to believe that scattering it sowing it brings a harvest in the end and that sowing is better than hoarding how can you know this is true like this Look at 2 Corinthians 9 in the New Testament. Here Paul is writing this group of faithful giving Christians. And he's urging them to give to the poor, not out of guilt, but from their heart. And look what he says. He says, remember this, whoever sows. Oh, there's that metaphor again. Sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. As it is written, they, meaning God's people, God's righteous people, have freely scattered. There's that word again scatter their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. He's quoting Psalm 112 here, almost verbatim of Proverbs. If you scatter, you'll gather. If you only gather, you'll lose it in the end. And then Paul, in that same context, he points to Jesus on the cross, and he says, look at him. For your sakes, he became poor, that you could become rich. See, Jesus Christ on the cross was scattered, right? Scattered. He was torn apart through the whips and the beatings and the thorns and the spears, the lashes. And what happened? Because he was scattered. 
It's beautiful. Now the greatest gathering in human history, uncounted lives gathered in to the family of God over the centuries. See, what he gathered though didn't look anything like what he scattered. What he reaped didn't look like what he sowed, but he reaped and gathered. And if you want to know, church, how you can believe that if you give, if you sow, it'll come back better and different than it left your hand, just look at Jesus on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. See, you've got a savior and money in it. Money's a terrible savior. It's a lousy savior. It can't help you in your darkest moment, right? It can't save you from sin or a broken heart or give your life meaning. It can't. So as we close, let me give you how, there's two ways how you can prove that money isn't your savior. And first, you can tithe. You can tithe. That is to give away at least 10% of your income. And you say, well, where's that? Well, probably the tithe is being referred to here in Proverbs because, again, back in that verse it says, there's a negative way of handling your money. And what is it? It's withholding what is justly due, it says. Withholding, that is, literally, what's right or required. And how much is right? Well, in the Bible, there's never a dollar amount mentioned. And aren't you glad for that? See, God's not into dollars. He's always interested in percentages. And throughout the Bible, 10% is always the minimum percentage God directs his people to give to ministry, to charity, to the church, to the poor. And hear this. So. Being wise with our money, it's not just about following rules, is it, right? Because the law, hear this, is the rule, but wisdom is the cross. The law is the rule, but wisdom is the cross. How were you saved if you're a Christian? By Jesus' wholehearted life sacrifice. So if 10% isn't where you are today, listen, just get going. Start with something. Pick a percentage and get going. Just begin to sow your seed into the world. And if you don't want to give here, if you don't trust here, then don't. Don't mean, but please, for your own conscience, for your own sake, own heart, just get to giving. And if you're at 10% in your giving, consider increasing that. Watch what God does. Second, you can create this morning. Let me encourage you. Create a new appetite. Quit feeding your discontentment and start to believe that the quality of your life, as Jesus says, the Zoe quality of your life, does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. He's saying, listen, you've got to believe how good your life is isn't connected to how much stuff that you have. Why not consider? If you've got something nice, just giving it away. Just giving it away. You'll find when you start giving, loving others through giving, it creates a whole new appetite. And it's amazing. And it's fun. It's because I just want to thank so many of you here who faithfully give here. Majority here of this people, this church, are faithful percentage givers, which is way above the national average, I might add. So many of you give generously, faithfully, and look what God's done here. Over the past year alone, this church has grown around 30% this year alone. And your giving has made that possible. Along with all the other things that we do in the community. So let's, can we love church through our giving? I hope we'd say amen to that. Let's pray as we go to our Father in prayer. Oh God, we come and we thank you. For the example of your heart toward us. Father's heart, that you give good gifts, 
Or some of us need help believing. Scattering is better than gathering. I pray that we'd look at Jesus this morning and see that he scattered himself that we could be gathered. For those of us who have sown, who are sowing, give us patience. Give us patience to see the fruit and the harvest that you promised would come from it. You said as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest will. Lord, we pray even this morning that prayer of Proverbs. Lord, would you keep us from having too much? It's wisdom to pray that, church. Wisdom. Having too much that we deny our God and Savior. We love you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.